0: All right, well, welcome to part four of Get Back. you brought your Bible, go ahead and open to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um. We are finishing up this series, this first series of 2013. This is part four. If you've missed any of the first three messages, the podcasts are available. You can go to iTunes and search for City Church of Olive Branch, or you can just go to citychurchob.com, go to our media tab, and and download the podcast there. Uh, But I would encourage you to check this out. We've been studying the life of the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings, and we've been looking at Kind of these incredible stories, these incredible miracles that God has used him to do. And originally, I thought we would be finishing things up today uh, with one of two stories. And those of you who know me, have been around for a while, you know that I'm a little bit of a resurrection fanatic. I love Things that are dead coming back to life. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Um, I just, I don't know, I can't get enough of it. And there are two stories involving Elisha where the dead are raised to life. The first is in 2 Kings chapter 4. We actually read from 2 Kings er, chapter 4 last week, but this is the story immediately following the one that we looked at, and there's a woman, uh, she in, lives in a town called Shunem, which is actually in the Philistine territory, and she's very wealthy. Last week, we looked at a woman who had nothing. This woman in 2 Kings 4 has everything. She's extremely wealthy, and uh, she blesses Elisha the prophet. She makes a room in her home so whenever he's in town, whenever God brings him through, that he can come and have a nice place to stay. And so he asks his servant, Gehazi, he says, Gehazi, what does this woman need? She seems to have everything. He says, she has no child. And so Elisha prophesies to her that about this time next year, you're going to have a kid. And she does, and she gives birth to a boy. And then a few years later, we're not sure exactly how many, approximately 8 to 12, the boy dies. And the the Shunammite woman comes to the prophet Elisha and is like, why did you do this to me? Why would you tease me like this? Why would you give me this thing that I desired more than anything in the world, only for God to take him from me? So Elisha comes to her house, and and they have laid the boy actually in Elisha's bed in the spare room. And Elisha lays out his body across the boy and spreads out his arms and, and breathes into him, just as God breathed into Adam. The breath in Scripture is always symbolic of life, and sure enough, Life comes back into the boy. It's such an incredible story. I thought I was going to be preaching that. Or Second Kings chapter 13, the, the end of the Elisha story. We actually see Elisha himself die. And he's buried and he's laid in a tomb. And in verse 20, there's some men, uh, some Israelites, who are burying a friend. And they're they're putting this man to rest. And there's raiders from Moab who are attacking Israel consistently. And they show up. They come in. and, And these men are terrified. They're afraid. And so they don't have time to finish burying him. So they just throw him into Elisha's tomb. They just drop him into Elisha's tomb. And they take off running, don't even realize what's happened. Well, the body falls and connects with Elisha's bones. And when the body touches Elisha's bones, Elisha doesn't come back to life but this guy does. And so it says he stands up in the tomb and life comes back into his body. And so I had a whole message that I wanted to do about connecting with the old bones, connecting with the old life. You see, sometimes I love the new things, man. We are, I believe, a pretty modern church. We're always trying to tap into what's new, but sometimes we need to tap into what's old. Sometimes we need to tap into what God has done. Sometimes we need to read stories and study on the great revivals in church history, on the great men and women of God who have taught us so many incredible things, not just the ones in Scripture, but the ones down through the ages, man. We need to look at Smith Wigglesworth and and Charles Spurgeon and we need to look at uh, D.L. Moody and Martin Luther and William Seymour, the amazing African-American who who led us back in 1906 into the Azusa Street Revival and brought the Pentecostal renewal into the world and and tapped us back into the spiritual gifts and Scripture. We need to look back at the revivals of the past to see what God has done, because I believe that, that what God has done is an indicator of what God wants to do. Not that it's always going to be the same way. God wants to do a new thing, but we can gain faith. We can gain encouragement. We can gain instruction. Looking back at these stories, th- this week I looked back at one when I thought I was going to be preaching on this. There's a man named Honey. and Honey lived about 100 years before Jesus. He was a Jew, uh, and in this time period, there was no prophet. There was no word coming from God, and there was a great famine. There was a great drought. Actually, And Honi went out in front of all Israel, in front of thousands, and he drew a circle in the sand around him. And he stood in the middle of the circle and he cried out to God and he said, I am not leaving this circle until you send rain. And God sent rain a little sprinkle. And he said, no, this isn't what I'm standing here for. I'm believing you for great rain. I'm believing you for the blessing of rain. And, and so God sends a flood. And he said, no, I'm not standing in this circle for a flood. I'm standing here for, for rain that is, that is the kind that we need. That's the kind that's going to be usable. And God turned down the rain to just the right amount. That they needed, and all of Israel was encouraged and amazed. And it's it's an amazing story. You can find out more about it. There's a pastor in Washington, D.C. named Mark Batterson that wrote a book about it called The Circle Maker, and that book will fire you up. And I thought I was gonna be preaching about resurrection and about connecting to the old life and how that can bring new life into us. But God had a different plan, and he took me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we don't find the story of a resurrection. We find the story of the healing of a man named Naaman. So starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first 15 verses in this chapter together. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was the general of the Aramite army. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, very well regarded, brave man, courageous, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, it's about 750 pounds, 6,000 shekels of gold, it's about 150 pounds, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. See, Samaria was the capital city of Israel, and this king of Aram, when he heard that there was a Someone who could cure in Samaria, he thought, well, of course, it's got to be the king. I guess kings like other kings thought the king would be special. So he sends him to the king with this letter. Verse 7, we see the kings of Israel's reaction. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes, which is a sign of mourning, and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? There's little hints of resurrection in this verse. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, the head of the prophets, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Remember, the Jordan River always represents transition. It always represents a transformation. It always represents change. So he sends him to wash seven times in the Jordan, and he says, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He'd been watching Benny Hinn, apparently. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He was deeply offended to the point of anger that the man of God dared to tell him to go wash in the Jordan River and didn't even come to see him himself. Verse 13, Naaman was blessed. It says that Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And listen to this. It says, And his flesh was restored, his skin was cured, and became clean like that of a young boy. See, Naaman was a general. Naaman had been through the war since he was a valiant soldier. In this day and age, war meant swords and spears and bows. I don't know exactly what Naaman looked like, but I can pretty much guarantee you his skin was scarred up. He'd received some dings. He had borne the scars, the evidence of a man who had been through the war. And listen to the description. It says that his skin became like that of a young boy. You see, God didn't just heal him of his leprosy. He restored him to the previous state, not just to the point before he had leprosy, but God brought him back to a greater place. He always, we see it time and time again in 2 Kings, God exceeds the expectation of his people. When they ask him for something, God goes above and beyond just to show them how amazing and powerful he is. I love this. I love this stuff. Final verse we're going to look at In this passage today, verse 15, it says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, Elisha. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us so many incredible principles about recovering momentum in this series. Lord, I pray that as we wrap this up today, that you would inspire, that you would speak, that your Holy Spirit would connect with the hearts of all who hear and show them how to recover momentum in the body, Lord, physically and in the body of Christ. I pray that you would speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to recover momentum today in your physical body if you've got a sickness or a disease or if you've got something you're going through um I want you to know this will absolutely very directly and explicitly apply to you. Uh, Last week, in fact, we had some first-time guests that Caleb Smart had invited that he had met at his workplace, and uh, their names were Tony and Tammy, and they're going to be back. Uh, I'll tell you why they can't be here today in a moment, but he invited Tony and Tammy to church, and and they came, and Tammy had just been diagnosed with lung cancer and been told that she's going to go into surgery, and there's a 70% chance she's not going to make it out of surgery very, very severe form of lung cancer. And so Tony and Tammy came, and I actually had the chance to speak to Tony on the phone on Friday uh, before they came, and they were, according to his testimony, they were they were far from God. And uh, they came Sunday morning, and both of them received salvation, which is awesome, greatest miracle there could ever be is salvation. Uh, and then they came down afterwards, and, and Bill and Sally and I were able to anoint them with oil and, and pray over Tammy for healing, and uh, they went in Friday to receive the results of some tests because they, they had scanned uh, her body to find out if the cancer had spread. They literally had just found this out, uh, and so they wanted to find out if she if the cancer was anywhere else in her body before they went in to operate, and they were, they were pretty convinced it was so advanced in her lungs it had to be elsewhere, and Tony called me Friday afternoon like you could just hear the smile on his face over the phone that, You're not going to believe it. The cancer hasn't spread anywhere else in the body. It's only in her lung. Uh, The the percentage has already gone up significantly. Uh, God heals. And I believe in Miss Tammy has got more life to live. God's not finished with her. And we're standing in agreement with Tony and Tammy that that she's going to survive this, that that cancer is going to be wiped out of her body, and that God's got more things in store for Tammy. I, I absolutely, with all my heart, believe Isaiah 53, which we're actually going to see a little later on, there's a promise. says that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. In fact, it's not just in the Old Testament. It's quoted again in 1 Peter, that by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. It's part of the covenant. It's part of the promise. If you need healing today in your body, God heals. If you need to recover momentum in your physical body, I want you to know he heals He doesn't just heal others, but he wants to heal you. He is willing to heal. I believe that with all of my heart. This message will help you towards that, I believe, especially points one and two. But as I got into this, uh, I didn't feel God was leading me to preach a message on healing in the physical body. You see, the body in Scripture is obviously part of our physical existence. But the body is also symbolic of the church. The first Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. Many times it talks about the body of Christ and how we are the body of Christ, that we all have parts to play. And what I really felt like God was leading me to communicate to today is people who have lost momentum in your connection to the body. People who have lost momentum in your connection to church, who have lost momentum in in your connection to other believers. Maybe you were passionately involved in church and there every time the doors were open at some point previously in your life, or maybe you've never actually taken that step. But, But right now, you are not really where you know that you need to be. In connection to the body of Christ. I want to encourage you today. I want to show you three principles that we can pull from this story of Naaman that I believe will show you how to regain that momentum, how to connect with the body of Christ, how to find your place, and how to be blessed in an incredible, incredible way. If you need to recover momentum in your physical body or with the body today, here's three steps towards that, three things that we see in this passage. The first of these is this. You're going to need humility to do that Which seems below you. If you want to recover momentum in the body, you're going to need the humility to do the things that seem like they're beneath you. Naaman, the general, this great man, this valiant warrior, was told to go wash in a dirty river. What's his first response? Why would I go to the Jordan River? Our rivers back in Aram are so much greater, so much cleaner, so much more beautiful. Why would I go to that mud pile to to bathe? What is he thinking, asking me? to do this. He's offended. He's upset. The man of God didn't even come to me. He went all the way to the man of God's house. It wasn't like Elisha sent a messenger to meet him at the palace to save him a trip. He shows up at the front door of Elisha, and Elisha won't even come out of the house. He sends another messenger to him, and Naaman's like, who does this guy think he is that he won't even speak to me? I'm a general. I'm an important man. He is so upset at the way that he's treated. And I believe that Elisha knew that Naaman had a pride problem, and that's the reason he didn't go speak to him himself. I think Elisha knew exactly where he was and the lesson that he needed to learn. But I also know, man, sometimes you just got a lot going on. I'm sure Elisha was a busy man. I'm sure he had other people that he was dealing with. And the beauty of this is Naaman didn't need to see Elisha. Naaman needed to hear from God. And it didn't matter which voice it came out of. It didn't matter that it was this unnamed messenger, this person who's so insignificant the Bible doesn't even tell us who he is. Well, that's not what it's about. It's not about the individual that the voice comes through. It's that we hear the voice of God. See, I, I can say with most almost assured confidence that there's nobody in Scripture who was ever healed in their pride. I've never found an example of it. I've never seen a story of someone who was healed in their pride. Healing always requires humility. The woman with the issue of blood, she has to push through the crowd and get down to touch the hem of Jesus's garment. The the paralytic is lowered through, paralytic, I always say that word wrong. My wife makes fun of me. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I can't pronounce that right. The paralytic is lowered through the roof by his four friends interrupting a service, paraded in front of everybody to see him in his paralyzed state. He's got to be humbled. He's got to give up his pride in order to receive healing. If you want to be restored to the body, there might be some things that seem like they're beneath you that you're going to have to go through this past week. Tim Steed, who is uh, just so incredibly faithful, and, and man, Tim's one of my greatest encouragers. Tim's one of those guys; he just always knows when to send me a text and tell me it's a it was a great message. Or on Wednesday, he'll shoot me a text and say it's going to be a great night at the six six two. Tim just knows how to how to pick me up, and I I'm so grateful for you, Tim. But Wednesday night, for I don't even know the umpteenth time, Tim's in our women's bathroom trying to snake out the toilet, trying to figure out how to fix it. Down on his hands and knees, getting dirty, doing things that that are so far below his pay grade because he sees the bigger picture because he sees the glory of God because he knows women need a bathroom it's a big deal for a woman to be able to use the restroom now we don't even have a big enough restroom for the women to take another woman with them I don't know if that's like runs people off uh because there's not room for you maybe or maybe you go in there together anyway I don't know uh women are like that but uh but thank you Tim for getting down and getting dirty and, and not being afraid to do something that may seem like it's beneath you for God's glory, I'm, I'm so grateful for people like that. The Bible says in First 1 Corinthians one twenty nine that no flesh would glory in His presence. You see, you're not going to get healed if you don't come into the presence of God, and you're not going to be able to come into God's presence seeking your own glory, seeking your own name. It's the very reason why Lucifer was cast down out of heaven, and became Satan, because he was trying to glory in the presence of God. He was trying to steal the glory that was intended. Only for God, it's the very, very root, the very original fall, the very original sin is the sin of pride. We've got to get rid of it if we want God to do something in us, if we want God to connect us, if we want him to restore us. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud. He's resists the proud. He's against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm so grateful for his grace. I'm grateful for the grace of healing. I'm grateful for the grace of restoration. I'm grateful for the grace of recovery. And the key to receiving it is having humility. Here at City Church, this can flesh itself out in a number of ways. I think one of the, the greatest ways that humility can be required of some of us is is to serve in Kids City. Man, I've, done, I've served in every classroom that we have, every age group. I have changed diapers. I have put them on wrong. Uh, I have done all kinds of terrible things. The kids have survived, praise God. Uh, nobody's ever gotten sick, thankfully. Uh, but, man, I've served in, in every age group. I believe so much in our children's ministry. And I want to say, uh, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. I might skip somebody. I apologize if I do. But I'm so proud. We've got more men serving in Kid City right now than we ever have before. Kenneth serves in Kid City. Vincent, he's Marsh He's back there in Kid City, I believe right now. Damien, Josh, Caleb Smart just signed up and got involved serving in Kid City. I know I'm skipping somebody. There's at least one, one other man that serves in Kid City. Sean Haggerty serves in Kid City. There's another one, man. I'm so grateful for men that love our kids enough to get into a classroom. Man, we need our kids to see a godly example of a spiritual leader. We need our kids to see a man that loves God enough. I believe so passionately that children's ministry is not just women's work. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for our women that serve in Kid City, too. We would not have a children's ministry if it was not for women. I'm so grateful for the faithful, faithful ladies, so many of you who serve in Kid City, but we've had a a lack in our church for as long as I've been around. I've been at this church for seven and a half years, and we've never had more than three men serving in Kid City at the same time. we got at least six right now, and that's just off the top of my head. I'm so grateful for you men who are doing that, and I believe there's more in this room who, man, God has a purpose for you in the life of a kid. God has an example uh, of a kid who needs to see you that he's calling you to, and that may seem scary to you. That may seem beneath you. That may seem like something you're not cut out for, but I'd encourage you to Answer that call, to take that step, and to see what God can do through you. Our media team, it may not seem like a big deal to sit back there at the computer and click the space bar through the slides, but I promise you this you know it when somebody's not doing it well. Right? Media is like the referees. Like, you don't notice referees except when they make terrible calls. Like, that's the media team. You never notice the guy in the sound booth. You never notice the girl on the media computer. You don't even realize they're there until they screw up. And then it's like, what are you doing? Right? Uh, thankfully, that doesn't happen very often, man. We've got a great team. I'm so grateful for those who serve. Maybe for you, that, that's an opportunity. Maybe it seems a little behind the scenes. It's not the spotlight, but man, it makes such a difference in drawing people into God's presence and creating an atmosphere. Serving at the coffee bar, man, you got to show up early to serve at the coffee bar. That's hard. That's rough. But man, aren't you glad when you get here, there's fresh coffee? Aren't you glad that you have that pick me up? I'm glad because I don't have a room full of people who are asleep. Uh, So that makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. And it's not even me, it's because Pam showed up to make some coffee. So thank you, Pam. Uh, But man, that's another opportunity to serve that may seem beneath you. The 662 on Wednesday nights, it's our youth ministry. Man, I would tell you right now, we got an amazing thing going on. I'm so proud of our kids. I'm so proud of our leaders who are in there. We need some more adults. I'm just going to be straight up with you. We have had seasons where we've had much greater adult participation. and Right now, we are low, and we could use some men and some women who will plug in on Wednesday nights, who will serve, who will connect with the life of a young person and model for them what it means to be a godly adult. doesn't mean you've got to be perfect. I'm not. I've been doing it for seven and a half years. I'm still not perfect, not even close. But, man, I'm there. I'm present. I'm connecting with these young people. I'd encourage you to do that. Do you have the humility to do something that seems beneath you? It's not just serving in the church. There are other things that God calls us to do that may seem like they're beneath us. But if you want to connect to the body of Christ, you've got to be willing to get low. You've got to be willing to get humble if you need to receive restoration to the body or in your body. Second thing that we see here that you need is you need obedience down to the very last detail. You need to obey Every specific command. Sometimes we think that we just got to get in the ballpark, man. We live under grace, not under law. We just got to give a little bit of an effort, just kind of got to show up. And God's going to bless us. He's going to care about us. He's going to love us. And yes, God's going to love us no matter how much I obey or no matter how much I disobey. doesn't matter how much I disobey. God's love for me is exactly the same. But if you want to receive restoration, if you want to receive recovery, you better learn to be fanatical about obeying even the very small details of what God asked you to do. This general, Naaman, he would not have been healed by just kind of generally getting in the ballpark of the instructions of God. He received his healing because he did exactly what God asked him to do. If he would have gone and bathed in the Jordan River six times, he wouldn't have been healed. If he'd have gone home to Aram and bathed one of the rivers there 66 times, he would not have received his healing. He only received his healing because he did exactly what the word of God told him to do. He said, go and bathe in the river seven times in the Jordan River. He was very specific. He was very direct. And if Naaman had missed any of those details, he wouldn't have received his healing. It was only on the seventh time of going down and bathing in the Jordan River, cleansing in the Jordan River, that's when the healing came. We got to learn to obey the word of God. We got to get serious about obeying everything that it says. You see, partial obedience is disobedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. God is serious about us obeying him. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The way that we show him our love, even beyond worship, even beyond giving, even beyond serving, even beyond witnessing, the greatest way that we tell Jesus we appreciate what he did for us is to obey the things he's asked us to do. We've got to get committed to obedience. See, obeying only when I feel like it isn't really obedience. Just obeying when all the conditions come together and it just feels right for me, that's not obedience. It's disobedience. Growing up, we had a pool table that we got at the Thrift store for $35. Worst pool table you ever saw in your life, but we loved it. And uh, my dad was a bit of a pool, char- pool shark. Uh, he used to play in the bars before he came to Jesus and he used to hustle people for money. So my dad was pretty good. And uh, I've beaten my dad at pool like twice in my life. Like it's just not something that ever happens. And so I remember I'd play and, and I would mi- I'd miss a shot and I'd be like, oh, I was so close. And every time I can still hear my dad's voice saying this, he would say, well, Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Thanks a lot, Dad. So I want to tell you this. Obedience is not horseshoes. It is not hand grenades. We can't get close. We got to be passionate about obeying to the very last detail. Naaman received his healing because he obeyed exactly everything that God told him to do. See, obedience is like pregnancy. Obeying is like pregnancy. Either you is or you ain't. And that might be terrible grammar, but it's awesome preaching. All right? It's the truth. Either you are obeying or you're not obeying. There is no middle ground. There is no partial. There is no halfway. Just like with pregnancy, Bianca is 100% pregnant, as we can all testify, and she's about to have an awesome kid. I'm so excited for you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is calling us to lifeless legalism. He's not. He's not calling us back to law. We are under grace, but he is calling us to obey his voice. Why? Because the things that he tells us are good. They are for our good. And when we connect with that, when we tap into it, when we realize that everything he asks us to do is for our benefit, that's when we're going to walk in the blessings of God. That's when we're going to truly receive his momentum, connect in the body, receive healing in our body is when we get serious about obedience. If you want to get your momentum back with the body of Christ, you better obey, obey him passionately, obey him completely, obey him to the last detail. Now, let me say this. There's three things that God has ordained and and probably even more than this, but three that I feel that we really need to see that we need to obey. Three ways that we need to obey three instructions he's given us. First of all, this we need to obey what God's told us through his word. First and foremost, the word of God is the ultimate authority. It's pretty black and white. If it's in the Bible, do it. If it's in the Bible not to do it, don't do it. Like, it's pretty simple. I don't think we got to go into a lot of detail here. Hopefully you realize this. You know this. Big thing this means is that we got to be in the word. I don't think God's going to hold it against us if we don't obey something we didn't know. But you're not going to be blessed if you don't obey. The blessing comes from finding out what God's word says and walking in the obedience. And, man, we got to know what it says. So obey God's word. It's the ultimate authority. Second thing we need to do is we need to learn to obey what God is telling us through the authority he's placed in our lives, through the authority he's given us. See, authority is our covering. When we're under authority and we're submitted to authority, we're protected when we're out from under authority, that's when we're exposed. That's when we're vulnerable. That's when the enemy can take advantage of us. God's ordained authority in the home. Young person, your parents are your authority. You need to obey them down to the last detail. Even if you think they're wrong, you need to obey them. You need to respond to that authority. He's ordained authority in your workplace. He's given us authority in your church, in your ministry area, in your town, your state, your nation. There's authority all around us. Each of us is under so much authority. And we're going to be blessed when we obey that authority, when we listen to what that authority has to do. And obviously, that, that authority tells us to do something contrary to God's word. I'm not telling you to, to do that. His word is the greatest authority in our lives. But don't think, young person, just because your parents are off on something, even because your parents aren't serving God, that that means that you don't have to obey them. You've got to obey everything they tell you that is not directly contrary to the word of God. That's when you're going to be blessed. That's when you're going to grow. Obey, obey, obey. Third thing that we need to obey is we need to obey what God is telling us through his spirit. we got to obey his voice. See, God has specific, specific commands for you that aren't for everybody. God has somebody that he wants you to reach out to in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your world, that he's not calling me to reach out to. That He's not calling the person next to you to reach out to. It's just for you. we got to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. we got to learn to listen to what God is leading us to do. John 16, 13 says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. See, the word of God is absolutely true, but there is some truth that exists outside the word of God for you. There is some truth in your life that you're only going to find from listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to walk that out. Now, if you hear something that you think God said and it's against Scripture, God didn't say it. God didn't tell you to get a divorce. God didn't tell you uh, to leave your church. And he may tell you that there's another church for you to plant at. In some of the cases, he does that. But most, a lot of times we blame stuff God for stuff. We see this in youth ministry all the time. Well, oh, God told me that we're supposed to break up. I'm not supposed to date somebody right now. And that might actually be true. And then they're dating somebody else two days later, and I just want to smack them. We like to blame God for, for what we want to do. Uh, don't put that on God. Just put it on yourself. You know, I don't think we need to be dating right now. I don't think I need to be in a relationship. Cool, move on. It's good. We like to blame God for so many things. But We need to learn to obey down to the last detail. We got to obey his word. We got to obey the authorities placed in our life. We got to obey his spirit. Naaman obeyed the voice of God. He didn't want to. He did it kind of begrudgingly, but he obeyed. And by obeying to the very last detail, he received that which he needed. Last thing that we see that we need from this story, is that we need to surround ourselves, or you need to surround yourself with the community that wants God's best for you. This is my favorite point. Did you notice how many people are involved in this story? If you just read over this and just kind of skim it real quick, you'd think, Well, he went to see Elisha. Elisha prophesied, and the man of God brought him healing. But there is person after person. In 15 verses, it is packed full of at least six. And you could argue for seven different people, and really even more than that, because one of them is a group that are involved for him to receive this miracle. If any of these people are removed from the story, Naaman isn't healed. It's amazing. I'm going to walk you through everybody who plays a part in this. The first one, the person who gets this all started, is the slave girl from Israel. Now, this is mind-blowing. This girl is captive, captured from her people. She is kidnapped and forced to be a slave. She has been through terrible things, things that she should never have to go through. And despite her circumstances, she hears about a need that she knows how God can meet that need. And she speaks up for the person who is her slave owner. She says, I know how he can get healed. How incredibly selfless. What a beautiful beautiful example of christ life love, that she would look beyond the injustice that's been done to her and speak up. Maybe for you, you've got a boss who just mistreats you terribly. God still wants you to bless that boss. God still wants you to be an example to them. Maybe you've got a person in your family who's just stabbed you in the back so many times and let you down time after time. God still has a purpose for you to play in that person's life to glorify him. Don't think that the things that have been done to you justify you just checking out. I'm not saying that we don't protect ourselves and we don't put up boundaries. I'm not saying to let yourself be taken advantage of. But I do believe that God's got a purpose for you to play even in the lives of people who have hurt you. Just like this girl did. Such an incredible, incredible story. Second person who's involved here is Naaman's wife servant girl, the slave girl, she doesn't go to Naaman himself. She actually goes to Naaman's wife, to his spouse, and she says, I know how he can get healed. There is a prophet in Israel, a man of God in Israel who can do this. Sometimes God's going to speak to someone around you to speak to you. Now, I believe that God speaks directly to us, but sometimes he just wants to make a statement about community. And instead of going directly to me, he's going to go to one of you to come to me. He's going to give you something to say, something to speak into my life. And, man, the best person for that is my spouse. Man, if you got a wife, the Bible says you found a good thing. If you found a wife, and God's going to speak to you through that wife. He's going to speak to you many, many times. He does through mine all the time. Sometimes I want to hear it. Sometimes I don't. But he speaks, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm blessed. The more that I listen to her, the more that I apply the things that God speaks from her, the greater I'm blessed in my life. Man, and I believe that applies, obviously, not just with the spouse. It applies in many ways. uh but you got to hear God's voice through those around you. The third person involved in the story is Naaman's king. and I think the king is symbolic here of his boss. It's his authority. It's the person that the general responds to, that he receives his orders from. This is his covering. And the king doesn't just give him his permission to go and seek healing. He says, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to send you with the letter. So the king is involved. Next person that's involved is Elisha, the man of God. This is the representative of spiritual authority in your life. This is The one that God has placed as your spiritual covering. I have a spiritual covering. I have a pastor. His name is Jason Delgado. He's the man who founded this church nine years ago. I'm in constant communication and in contact with him. I'm so grateful for his leadership in my life. Jason's the one who brought me here seven and a half years ago to be a part of this thing. He's the one who... Married my wife and I, even though he said her name wrong during the wedding, and she's trying to get over that. Uh, He's been so involved in our lives. Uh, I started dating somebody back in 2007 who was probably not God's best for me, and Jason put some boundaries down for me that protected me, that, that saved my purity, that actually helped me to get out of that relationship a lot earlier than I would have without his wisdom. Spiritual authority, spiritual covering is a valuable thing. Man, we've all got to be under a spiritual authority. We've got to be under a pastor, a ministry leader, somebody who's pouring into us. Um, there's so much blessing in that. You need a pastor. And I'm not saying it's got to be me. If you've if you got another church, man, that's great. There's great pastors out there. There's better pastors out there than me. I have no doubt about it. But, man, if God's called you to be a part of City Church, I'm honored to have the opportunity to be your pastor. And I'm not going to be perfect at it, I promise. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to listen to God's voice. I'm going to do what I can to speak into your life to encourage you. And I know that God's going to bless you for having a pastor, for listening to God speak through the man of God he's placed in your life. Next person we see in the story is Elisha's messenger. Elisha doesn't go himself to the door. He sends his messenger. Naaman comes all the way to the door. Elisha senses his pride and says, no, I'm going to tell you to go to him and sends him there. And The truth is that I don't have to do everything for you. And I'm glad I don't. I don't have to go to every hospital. I don't have to pray for every sick person. I don't have to counsel every marriage. I don't have to meet with everybody who's going through something. I love it. I'd do it all if I could, but I can't. And I'm not supposed to. See, because God has designed us to be the body of Christ. He's designed you to play a part in all this, for us to speak into each other's lives, for us to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to go to God for one another. In fact, Ephesians 4.12 says that my job as a pastor is one of the five-fold ministry components is to prepare God's people for works of service. If I'm doing my job, I'm not doing everything. I'm releasing you to do stuff. I'm unleashing you into the world, into the body of Christ, to go out there and minister to each other, to encourage each other. I'm not saying this because I want to get out of doing stuff. I don't. I love it, man. I'm so grateful for the chance to meet with people and pray with people and, and love on people. But I'm even more grateful for the chance to see you do it, to see God use his people, not just the guy who gets a paycheck for it. It's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ gets involved. And I'll tell you this, the more that we get involved together, the more that all of us go out and do the work of the ministry and do the, the service that God has prepared us for, the faster our church is going to grow. The more people we're going to reach for the glory of God, the more people who are going to miss hell and make heaven. When we all get on board with this, it's going to be awesome. Elisha sends his messenger. Now that Next we see most, maybe the most important people in this story, Naaman's servants. I'm going to go back over this passage because I think it's so key. Verse 13, it says, Naaman's servants, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? See, just as Naaman was under authority from his king and he responded to that authority, Naaman had authority. He was a general. He had a whole army below him, and he had direct servants who it was their job to wait on him hand and foot, to be his bodyguards, to watch out for him. And it was those servants, it was those beneath him who God used to speak to him, to humble him. You see, you don't just need somebody who's over you. I believe you need somebody who's under you. I believe every Christian is designed to have somebody they're receiving from and somebody they're pouring into. And the greatest thing about pouring into somebody else is you're going to learn more from the person you pour into than you're ever going to learn from the one pouring into you. I can't tell you how many six six two adult leaders I've had tell me, man, I learned more from the kids than I ever learned from you. Thanks. I appreciate that. But it's true because I learned more from them than I ever learned from me. Praise God. Man, it's amazing what you learn when you start pouring into somebody else, when you get into somebody else's life. It's amazing the things that they'll start talking back to you. They'll start speaking God's word back to you. And you're like, man, I taught you that. Don't tell me that. But you need to hear it. He received from his servants. He was humble enough, even as prideful as he was. He was humble enough to listen to the people below him who said, what are you thinking? You're going to miss out on God's best for your life if you don't go and do this. You need to have somebody you're pouring into and you need to listen to them. See, we see in Naaman's life, he's got the authority, the king, the man of God who pours into him. He's got the wife, his partner, the one beside him who speaks into his life. And then he's got the slave girl and the servants who are below him. All the components, all the directions are involved for Naaman to receive this miracle. And I think we all need that. We need partners. We need the body of Christ that we come alongside, fellow church members. We need a spiritual authority. We need to respond to the authority God's put in our life. And we need somebody we're pouring into. If you don't have one of those components, man, you need to find it. God's going to bless you when you do, when you get in community with people who want God's best for you. Man, it's an amazing, incredible, beautiful thing. I could preach about it all day long, but I won't do that to you. This is what Damon, and This is what Naaman found out, that he needed community, that he needed to hear from all these directions. He needed to hear from above, from beside, and beneath. If you want to be restored to the body of Christ today, if you want to recover some momentum in your body, humble yourself and do something that seems beneath you something that God's been speaking to you for a long time, some opportunity that you've seen that just seems like it's just not that big of a deal. It's just not special enough. It's not exciting enough. It's not big enough. Naaman wanted something big and spectacular. He wanted the prophet to come out and make a show of it. And when that didn't happen, he said, no, this isn't for me. But the healing was not in the spectacular aspect of the miracle. The healing was simply Naaman choosing to humble himself and to obey. You want to recover momentum? Choose to obey what God has said, down to the very last detail, and surround yourself with community that cares about you and wants God's best for you. See, you got to reach out to community. You got to connect. I tell you, if you're in that third group, you're not really in community today, like you need to be. You need to get somebody's phone number before you leave today, and you need to invite them over for dinner, or invite them out to dinner if you don't cook. You need to make the first move, connect with somebody, get to know somebody. I don't care if you don't even know their name, man. And now. Some of you are going to use this for a chance to hook up. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm trying to tell you to get to know some people in the church, not to get to know, go out on a date. You can figure out the dates later on. Man, Find somebody else, same gender. If you're a couple, hook up with another couple. Get with somebody. Make a connection. Take the first step. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Get relationship. Get accountability. Get encouragement. Get community. If you're not in membership at a church, man, I'd encourage you to go through next steps. Man, if if you feel like this is the church for you, if God has you here for this season of your life, go through next steps, find out what we're all about, get connected, get to know who we are. If you're not submitted to spiritual authority, get under some authority. If you're not in divine community, connect with the community. If you don't have somebody you're pouring into, find an opportunity to serve and to pour into somebody else's life. You'll be amazed what God will do through you if you'll do those things. Jesus prayed one prayer for the body of Christ. You know what he prayed for? Pray that they'd be one. Pray that we'd be unified. Satan knows that. He's constantly trying to separate us. That's why he's constantly putting strife using our us, God's people, to gossip against each other, to slander each other. If you weren't here back in November, we did a message, we don't gossip here. If somebody comes to you and starts talking bad about somebody else at the church, just say, man, I'm sorry, we don't do that here. Just cut them off. Don't receive that. Don't allow it to happen. We are going to be unified. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to be together. We're going to have each other's backs. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to be in community and desire God's best for one another. Josh, if you go ahead and come on down, I'm going to pray and and. Allow God to move. I'm going to give people an opportunity. If, if you're here today and you've never received Christ, the first step you need to make is to get into the body of Christ, to get into the family of God. We're going to give you that opportunity here in just a second, and then we're going to take communion together. Communion is simply unity of the body of Christ. Us all partaking together, joining with churches around the world, joining with churches down through history, remembering what Jesus has done. We're going to do that, and we're not going to hold you hostage. We're going to get you out of here very shortly but i really believe that that god wants us to be in community and he wants us to celebrate communion and remember what he's done so let's bow our heads and pray father god i th-